0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, amen. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? The other two services were stronger. How are we doing? <laughs> um, well, my is Jerry. I serve as a student pastor here. And you guys picked a really good Sunday to come to church. So congratulations. Baptism, we're going to take communion later. That's awesome. Uh, so we're in week two of our series through Advent. And last week we looked at hope, the hope that Jesus brings for week one. The, high, the kind of hope where Jesus unites us, uh, he's gathered us, and He, and so we are not alone. And then also uh, the hope that he leads us, that we are not on our own. This week we're going to look at peace, the kind of peace, peace that Jesus brings for week two of Advent. I've been listening to a bunch of Christmas music to kind of psych myself into the Christmas mood. Is anybody with me there? Like, if I'm being honest with you guys, it's working. It's working pretty well. I found some new songs. It's been pretty cool. Um, And I keep coming across this phrase in a lot of Christmas music, which is, uh, Christ is born. And we sang it this morning, that Christ is born in Bethlehem, and heart the herald angels sing. That phrase pops up all the time, and it is a blessing. Uh, The weight behind those words, uh, that Christ is born in Bethlehem, we're going to look at that uh, today. And the peace uh, that that comes just because of his birth, by his coming down. So we're in Micah 5, verses 1 through 5. If you're there, I'm going to start reading. Micah 5, verse 1 through 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. so the summer before my senior year of college, I got to go on a 10-day trip to Israel, and my life was changed in every way. Uh, after 21 years at that time of growing up in the church, sitting under scripture, all of a sudden, all of those stories had a picture Uh, and and a a location, a tangible location, and it changed how I read scripture. Even to this day, every time I put my Bible up, uh, it has helped me to visualize and kind of put myself in the footsteps, and every day was so full of emotion. It was really heavy days. The first day we were there, we're going to go, and we're going to follow the footsteps of Jesus on his last night before he was crucified. Uh, super emotional. We, we walked up these stairs into this room and they say, literally, welcome to the upper room. Uh, and they're quick to say, you know, the walls in this room, uh, it's about the size of this stage. Uh, the walls in this room are not original because Jerusalem has seen a bunch of destruction and a lot of age. Um, but they point to this wall and they say, but that wall we were pretty sure was here when Jesus and and his disciples had the last supper in this space. And all of our jaws hit the floor at the same time. It was like, that's that's really, really wild. And then we left that. We walked down to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's probably about a 15-minute walk. And it was like we were following Jesus, literally. Like We walked back up through the Eastern Gate, which is where a week prior, he was welcomed in as a Messiah, and now he's being uh, arrested. He's coming in as a criminal. And then we walked past the Antonia Fortress where he would have been flogged and beaten. Uh, and then the Via de la Rosa, the path of the cross that ends at the place where he was probably Uh, Crucified and then buried. So that was kind of the days. Like every day was full of something like that that would just grab my heart. We would be standing in a location and reading the scripture that came from that location or the scripture that is about that place. It was amazing. Uh, Day three was Bethlehem Day. it was awesome. So we're waking up. We're going to go. We're going to see the birthplace of Jesus. So we're super excited. But we wake up the morning of, and the news is reporting that there are rockets being fired towards Jerusalem north from the Gaza Strip, which is southwest Well, before you get to Jerusalem, you'll get to Bethlehem. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. So we didn't get to go see Bethlehem on the side of caution. The truth is, we were not in any kind of danger. Pretty sure my mom was more worried than I was. Uh, Where I come from, if a tornado siren goes off, you don't go to your basement. You go outside and you watch it. That's how it felt. It was really, really strange uh, walking around the, the streets of Jerusalem, and there's just people living a normal life as if this happens all the time. Because it kind of does down there. So uh, it was a strange experience, but we didn't get to go see Bethlehem. And we get on the bus. I will never forget what our tour guide, Henry, said. He was was Jewish. He was from uh, the Galilee area. He gets on the mic and says, guys, I'm sorry you don't get to go see Bethlehem. But if I'm being honest with you, you're not missing much. It's just a little town down there. And I'm like, what? I remember looking across the aisle. And did he just say we're not missing much? Like, how is that possible? This is where all this began, and we're not missing much. And then he, he elaborated, you know, this is, it's just a little town down there. So I didn't get to go. I was, talking, I was talking with Josh a minute ago. He did get to go, and he kind of confirmed. Not a lot. Uh, you're, you're not missing much. So according to Josh, according to tour guide Henry and to Micah, Bethlehem is seen as an insignificant town. It's small. There's not a lot going on. You're not missing much. But it is there where God decides to send Jesus and do the most glorious thing in a really insignificant place. Through a young, barely married couple, a teenage girl who's going to give birth to an infant in a manger where animals live in a very small town. It doesn't seem, uh, it's unexpected. It's kind of surprising. Like, why would God do it this way? That out of the humblest of beginnings, this ruler of Israel that Micah is talking about, and Isaiah says, the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. So, this is week two of Advent. How does Bethlehem have anything to do with Jesus being our peace? We're going to look at that uh, this morning. You may be thinking, Bethlehem, okay, it's this kind of quiet, little, quaint little town. I think of my grandparents, uh, the town that they live in, a small little city. But, if you consider the circumstances that Jesus is born into, it's not exactly peaceful. From the moment he's born, he has a target on his head from a maniac, King Herod. Uh, he is born literally into a mess, if you can imagine what's on the floor in this, in this place. His parents are trying to travel and they get to Bethlehem and there's nowhere to stay. Has that ever happened to anybody in this room? It happened to me and my family not a peaceful time. We were skiing in Colorado, and then we're driving across western Kansas in a blizzard at night. So my dad's driving. He's trying to keep us alive at this point, uh, following a truck trying to stay in between the road markers at this point. You can't see anything. It kind of looks like Lightspeed in Star Wars with the snow. Super cool, but also super dangerous. Um, And my mom's on the phone with hotel 20 minutes ahead saying, hey, we need a room. And they're like, we're sorry. Everybody in the highway is doing the exact same thing. Uh, We're booked. So we have to go to the next town over and we get in a room. It's like a one bed, one couch for the five of us. This is not peaceful. And that's what Mary and Joseph go through. They get there and uh, they have nowhere to stay. It's crowded. Everybody's going back for the census. So this is not peaceful, hardly peaceful at all. But we see in the Christmas story that peace is restored, right, just by Jesus' birth. So the presence of Jesus makes the unpeaceful peaceful. Jesus is our peace. And the great thing, I'm going to give away my whole sermon. The great thing about where we are right now is we have seen what Jesus has done on the cross and the victory that he has brought over death. And we also know what he is going to bring in the future, the abolishment of sin. He's going to restore us to complete wholeness, to holiness with him. Like that's what Jesus is bringing And because we have seen what he has already done on our behalf, we can anticipate that, right? So it's not this waiting. Advent is about waiting. It's not like we're waiting and we're wondering. We can take the wonderment straight out of waiting and replace that with peace because we got rid of the nerves. We got rid of the anxiety. It's like watching the game, but it's recorded. You know the outcome. Even though I don't really watch a lot of games because I'm a Chiefs fan and I kind of know the outcome. So... (laughs) Uh, it's fun. It's a good time to be from Kansas City, but, um, Jesus comes in this little town of Bethlehem and he is our peace. And that's where he comes from. So let's jump right in to verse number one. So we see a siege is coming. There's an oppression coming and the ruler, the judge of Israel is going to be struck, struck on the cheek. So at the time it was probably Hezekiah who is king and he, he, you know, he was an obedient king. But none of the kings in the whole monarchy are able to deliver Israel uh, from their oppression or from their own sin, especially. And they're not able to stop the judgment of exile that is coming. None of them are able to do that. So in verse 1, we see that we need a new ruler. We need a savior. We need someone who can actually stop this oppression that is coming. So verse two comes and we get an answer out of Bethlehem Ephrathah. Ephrathah is the ancient name for Israel or for Bethlehem. Uh, out of there will come this ruler, but Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah. When you see the word clan in the Old Testament, you can think of family unit. Bethlehem's not really part of anything. It's not big enough to be considered um, significant or considered among the clans of Judah. But from there is going to come Jesus. It's also where David comes from, which is, it's weird, like God was working throughout this whole time because this is the city of David. David comes from this place. This should be a big town, but God worked in such a way. Uh, he, he took David out. He moved in towards Jerusalem in the end. So Bethlehem remained small. And God has this habit throughout the whole Bible of using the unexpected person uh, in the unexpected place to do something that is very unexpected, right? That's how God works. And a lot of, ways, a lot of times his ways seem foolish to us, but God has a reason uh, for doing what he is doing. So in Micah 5.2, uh, I see that... Uh, This is kind of, it's hopeful. It's hopeful for the original audience and it's hopeful for you and me because it is confirmation that God is going to deliver on his promises. That this Messiah is going to come from David's line and it's going to come from Bethlehem. Uh, God is faithful to deliver on that promise. And Jesus is going to come uh, from there. The Messiah that they are not expecting though. Uh, If you look at Matthew 2, Herod asks the chief priests and the scribes, what's the deal with this king being born? Uh, in Bethlehem. And they're like, well, uh, according to Micah, uh, that is the Messiah. Well, they misquote Micah 5.2. They say, uh, you of Bethlehem are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. But Micah 5.2 actually says that it is the least. It's not even large enough to be counted. So the people that Herod is relying on, even they miss the point of Micah 5. The point is this, to draw attention to the unlikeliness. Of Bethlehem. So that's the first point. The insignificance of Bethlehem, it is an unlikely choice. So we see the unlikely choice of Bethlehem. And there's a deeper meaning behind God choosing Bethlehem. And here it is. Um, behind this choosing an insignificant town a place that can be easily overlooked. It's kind of like a pass-through town. God is doing something. He is eliminating the possibility of boasting. This way, in Bethlehem, nobody can say, okay, God chose my great city to bring the Messiah in. And nobody can say my house or my family was the one that this Messiah came through. No, he came in a stable where animals live. Through a barely married couple who is not royalty, they are not wealthy, this is how he brings Jesus in, so there can can be no boasting. So he didn't choose Bethlehem because of its status. And I think that is uh, really helpful for us today, because in the same way, if God can choose lowly, insignificant Bethlehem, then he can choose messed up, sinful, broken me to do the same work. That if he can be born in a place like Bethlehem, then Jesus can be born in me and Jesus can be born in you. That's the great news behind verse two right there. That's the gospel message right there that that Christ came into the mess and then he wants to redeem and he wants to reconcile and bring peace into that mess. He wants to clean us up. So all of us are eligible for grace. He came for all of us. And the unlikely choice of Bethlehem it points to the amazing grace of God. So we'll put that up there. The, amazing, the unlikely choice of Bethlehem points to the amazing grace of God because it doesn't matter on merit. God doesn't choose us based on merit. He doesn't choose us based on our accomplishments. He doesn't choose, choose us based on what people we're a part of or if we're in this, some kind of elite group. Uh, he chooses us based on his grace. And for that, uh, I am thankful. So let's push forward. Straight to verse 3. It says, therefore, that he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So people of Israel, they're going to be given up. There is a 400-year gap between testaments in your Bible, which is a place where there was no appointed prophet. So really all we have is silence from God in between the Old and the New Testament. So they have to wait for 400 years. We set aside four Sundays a year Uh, and to emphasize this waiting, but they have to actually wait through 400 years of waiting on the Lord to speak, which sounds agonizing, right? That sounds agonizing, but they have to hold on to Micah 5, They have to hold on to this promise in Micah 5, uh, 3, that Jesus is going to unite them, that the Messiah, like we talked about last week, is going to unite us. And And we have seen that he has done this, right? We are the church, and he is the head of the body of Christ. So we have seen, and we can have hope, and we can rest in the assurance that that has come true. But those people, the original audience, they just have to hope on that and hope it comes true. But it's a reminder that they are part of a bigger bigger, much bigger story. And it's a reminder that God is not uh, giving us empty words, that he, com- he fulfills his promises um, and he is faithful to deliver on them. So uh, to kind of sum those verses up, I found a quote from John Piper that was pretty helpful. It says, if you are in Christ by faith, you will inherit all the promises of God. Christmas is God's great nullification of all human boasting and confirmation of all divine promises. So give up all boasting and enjoy all of his promises. God did not choose us based on merit. He does not choose us based on status. He doesn't choose us based on our own accomplishments, but only by his grace and for his glory. And as 2 Corinthians one twenty says, that he has given all of his promises a yes in Jesus. So the fact that Jesus comes into Bethlehem when and where he did is the assurance. That God is faithful to deliver on his promises. And Jesus is the yes. Jesus is the answer to that promise. And I think verse 4 shows us a promise. It shows us a very important promise. Verse 4, it shows us a promise of who the Messiah is going to be. A promise of who the Messiah is going to be in verse 4. So it says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So uh, this Messiah, he's going to stand. That's important. He's going to stand. He's not going to be sitting. He's not going to be resting, lounging around, waiting for us to make the first move. No, he's the initiator. He takes the first step. Right? He takes a step into our lives, into our mess. I'm so grateful that he has done that because never would I have done this on my own. I'm not going to try and chase God on my own. I need him to chase after me with his uh, relentless love. So he takes the first step. That's important. He, he knows our needs. He's going to be attentive to our needs. And then he's going to shepherd, which means, uh, as Psalm 23 describes, he's going to lead us with the staff. And then he's going to correct us with a rod. This is what Jesus does for us. So we see this verse 4. This is a description. It's a promise of who Jesus is going to be. And you and I, man, we're blessed. We get to live in that. We get to partake in the life of Jesus. We get to um, live in the grace that he has brought and in the peace that he has brought. But he does this in the strength and the majesty of the Lord, which means that there is no plan that's going to trump his plan. His plan is the majestic plan. There's no obstacle in his way. There's no obstacle that's going to throw him off. No matter how convinced you may be today that all hope is lost in this situation or in this relationship or this battle with this sin is lost, there is no obstacle that Jesus cannot overcome this morning. Hear that, know that. There is nothing that can shake uh, Jesus. And then I'm really comforted by the end of verse four that he will be great, that we'll draw secure and that he's gonna be great to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, which means what Romans 8.31 means that if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one. There is no outside force that's going to stray Jesus, and there's nothing that's going to shake him. He is our shepherd. And then let's look at verse five. He is our peace. So uh, peace, this kind of, this idea of peace in the Bible uh, comes from this word shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom. Uh, when I was in Israel, that was the greeting. It's like, kind of like aloha in Hawaii. It's hello. It's goodbye. It's what's up. It's, how you, it's everything. Uh, we said shalom like a hundred times a day, it felt like. And then somehow this became involved with shalom. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Uh, but it's this idea of completeness, wholeness. Uh, there's no gaps and there are no holes. I think of uh, mission trips that I've taken where we would build walls, cinder block walls that kind of resemble the walls in this room. And if one of those bricks is wet, it didn't cure, it didn't dry correctly, well, it collapses. And then the surrounding ones will probably follow it, will probably fall too. So there are no gaps in Shalom. Uh, Everybody's working in perfect unity, and, and it's only, it's, it can be complex, it can be complicated, but it works in perfect unity. So this is Shalom. It was the goal. Shalom was the goal, but Israel was so bad at it. The kings couldn't lead them. They were infested with idolatry. Uh, they, just, they could never accomplish Shalom, even though that was the goal. And even today, we don't get a good example of Shalom uh, in the nations of today. And if you you know anything about Israel, you know that it's like the most complicated geopolitical issue in the world today. We don't get a good example of peace. But Micah 4, just in the page before, verse 3, Micah 4, 3, he talks about this kind of peace that this Messiah is actually going to bring. And I want to mention it quickly. He says, He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and the pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. So this, this kind of peace, this kind of shalom that is global, it is political, Jesus is going to bring that. Like we can rest in that, that that day is coming, even though it hasn't happened yet, and it's going to shower over the whole globe, cover all of creation with this kind of peace, where there will be no more need for wars, for fighting, for weapons, no more need for weapons. In fact, the weapons are going to be turned into farming tools. Um, My grandpa had a huge shed full of tools that honestly looked like weapons. They're all from the early 1900s. So um, my great grandpa. And, And those things would be used to farm. So this is what the weapons are going to be turned into. So there's going to be no more need uh, for fighting and no more need for war. So Jesus is going to bring peace between nations. This is the kind of peace that Jesus is going to bring. He's going to bring peace between nations. But there is a different kind of peace that Jesus is offering uh, and he's offering it today. See, before we have political peace, before we have this kind of global peace, Jesus is calling you to peace with himself, to have peace with God. So I put it up on the screen, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, that is the peace for me. That is the peace that we don't have to live under condemnation. Romans eight one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We don't have to live in fear that God is looking down on us with wrath. We don't have to live under that kind of condemnation. We have peace with God. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is offering today. The kind of peace that He has. Uh, he has made. He wants to restore. Our broken relationship with God back to holiness, back to that idea of shalom. Jesus is our peace. And Jesus, he exhibits that wholeness with his life, right? He, uh, he lives that holy, sinless life. He is peace. He already has peace with God. And then he gives us that peace as a gift. And that's justification. Uh, we, we don't have to live under that condemnation. God sees us as holy in his eyes. That's great, great news. I think sometimes when we think of the idea of peace, we think of two nations who have decided or agreed under some kind of treaty not to be at war. Or a more personal ex- uh, example, my twin brother and I growing up, we would wrestle quite a bit because we were evenly matched, still are to this day. Um, only one way to find out, I guess. Um, he lives in Oklahoma, we'll have to set that up. Uh, So my twin brother, we would just wrestle a lot. Uh, I know how to patch a hole. I will say that. Um, And that wrestling would inch its way towards boxing because it would just get a tad personal sometimes. Um, And yeah, so we would get separated and we would be forced to apologize. But you guys know as well as I do, that's a fake apology. It's superficial because there's a grudge there. And I'm going to settle it later. We shared a room. That issue is going to be settled at some point in time. So there's a grudge, right? That is not the kind of peace uh, that Jesus has created between us and God. And it's not the kind of peace that he's calling us to make. It's not passive. That kind of peace is passive and it's superficial. And you're going to have to get the last word. But we have been justified through faith. God looks at us. Uh, on us with favor. So God is not looking upon us as if he's got a grudge to settle or thinking he's going to get the last word. No, we're living in complete favor. We're living uh, in, in blessing, in peace with God. And it's a peace that he established, that he made a sacrifice for. Jesus went through the cross to enable this, to uh, be able to restore us to this kind of peace. If that's the same kind of peace that we're called to create, it means it's going to take sacrifice. So for those of us at school, uh, those of us at work, or with your families on Christmas Day, uh, making peace is going to take some effort. It's going to take work. And that is hard work, but it is what we are called to do. True biblical peace is not the absence of conflict. It's rather the ability to remain calm and tranquil In the midst of that conflict by the help of jesus and it's the active restoration of peace uh, between you and between others that's the kind of peace that god has created uh, between us and himself and that's the kind of peace that he's calling us to make uh, with others with our neighbors with our peers and that's why jesus came Uh, jesus came into this world in the way he did in the place he did So that you and I cannot boast, so that we can only boast in what he has done for us. He came, uh, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music. So he was born a child and yet a king. And then he lived a sinless life, a pure life, a holy life. And then his body is broken. And because of his body being broken, you and I have the ability to be made whole this morning. We have the ability to be made whole. We saw a baptism this morning. The uh, confirmation, the symbol that we, have been, uh, that we have died to our sin and that we have uh, been raised to newness of life. Like that is, that's everything. That's everything this morning. So that's the peace that's available to us. And I love how God works. He, he orchestrates things. He makes situations. Uh, we're talking about brokenness and the restoration And we get to celebrate and remember communion this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus' body was actually broken on our behalf. And we're going to look at how he ushered in new peace. And he does that for us every day. So um, I want to lead us into a time of prayer. And I want to propose the question for you as as you pray, as you uh, encounter God right now. um, What is robbing you of your peace? Whether that's your peace with God or your peace with a family member or with a coworker, what is robbing you of your peace? And then I want to invite you to, right now this morning, invite Jesus into that situation. In this room, whether you're at home, on couch, invite Jesus into that situation because he wants to come in and he wants to reconcile. He wants to restore relationships back to wholeness. He wants to bring peace into your life. And it is a promise that that Jesus is going to do that uh, for us. So uh, let's just take some time to pray, and then I'll close us, and then we'll uh, partake in communion together. Father, we are so, so grateful for the gift of your Son, uh, especially in these days, these days of Christmas, Lord, um, and the peace that he has brought, not only the peace amongst ourselves, between us, but also the peace that we have with you, Lord. We are justified. We are seen as holy in your eyes, and God, we're so thankful for that this morning, that you look upon us with favor. You don't look upon us with wrath, Lord. I pray that as we go throughout our lives this week, that we would be peacemakers, Lord, that we would strive to create the peace um, that we have with you.